Welcome to Thirst Watch, a self-explanatory podcast. I'm Peyton, and I'm here with my co-host, Saffron. Hey. Each episode, one of us picks a film that we've watched for Celebrity Crush, and then we discuss both the actor in question and the film's narrative and themes. This episode is Peyton's pick, and we're talking about Marco Brambilla's Excess Baggage, starring Benicio Del Toro and Alicia Silverstone. The film follows a wealthy teenage girl who stages her own kidnapping by locking herself in the trunk of her car, only for a sexy carjacker to kidnap her by mistake. So, Peyton, talk to me about Benicio Del Toro. Sure. Um, <laughs> this is one of those celebrity crushes that I quite literally don't know what to say. Like, I think he's a great actor. I've seen him in a handful of things. He's very big on, like, crime films. Like, he's in Sicario, The Usual Suspects, Snatch, all of which I've seen. Um, but I think, like, the crush part of it literally just came from me being curious as to what he looked like when he was younger and then Googling it and losing my mind and being like, okay, very fine. I remember you texting me in kind of, like, a panic with photos of him <laughs> when you first Googled him. You were like, what is going on? I'm like, yeah, he's been, he's been hot. Yeah, because, I mean, usually we kind of talked about this, I think, in the Only You episode last time that... I usually find actors more attractive as they age. Hmm. And I still think he's like an attractive guy, but I was never like looking at him in inherent vice or the usual suspects and being like, mm-hmm, Benicio. But like young Benicio, absolutely. I agree. I mean, okay, so as far as his filmography goes, I have a lot of like crime film blind spots that I feel very insecure about as a film major. And I'm realizing as I was looking through his IMDb, I'm like all of my film blind spots, like Usual Suspects, Sicario, Inherent Vice, like they all have him in it. Um, mm -hmm. So I really have not seen a lot of him. I feel like I've seen like his flops. He doesn't do a lot other than crime movies because, or like crime-based movies. Like he yeah. played Che Guevara mm -hmm. uh, in two movies, I think. And yeah. then- he won an Oscar for Traffic, but I don't even know what that movie is about, if I'm being honest. I feel like we should have like a like a little marathon together. We should do that. I'm sorry, I'm pitching this in the middle of us recording, but we should definitely <laughs> plan this. Um, what, I like a Benicio like, marathon? Yeah, I think so. I need to figure yeah. out my blind spots. I need to like get into it a bit. Also, he was just in Soderbergh's No Sudden Move, right? Was that, that was him. That's a good question to not ask me because I have I haven't no seen idea. I have but not he's going to be yet. in French Dispatch. I know that. Yeah. But, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big Wes Anderson fan. Probably not the good time to say that, but no, I'm not I think excited for that movie, but I will watch it. I was, yeah, not to get whatever, but I was very <laughs> excited for it because I was initially supposed to see it at Cannes in 2020. And I think that it was just the hype of that. And then obviously everything happened. And now I'm looking at it outside of that um, French kind of mindset and I'm not feeling great about it. Yeah. But I mean, kind of to pull it back on track, mm -hmm. his Filmography is very ultra specific, I feel like, in terms of genre. Like, and it's kind of unlocking a memory for me now that I think the first time I saw him in a movie was Sicario, because it's like my dad's favorite movie. Like, my dad loves that movie like no one else. And my dad loves Benicio del Toro, and it's because my dad like watches crime films exclusively. And I'm like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I love him as well, but it's for other reasons. But and then, his talent. I'm not shallow, but you know. 
See, I can only register him as like an, an attractive man because I haven't seen enough of his work. I believe that he's talented for sure. I mean, with that said, <laughs> Excess Baggage is a really interesting film, especially for him and his character. So, Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm curious. I don't think I've ever gotten like a legit answer about this. And I'm going to put you on the spot, but like why Excess Baggage instead of one of his crime films? because he looks so hot in this movie. Like, I'm gonna be completely honest, transparent. When we have been planning like our lineup for the movies that we're gonna talk about, I pitched this movie before I watched it because yeah. I was like, he just looks so good. I remember I read the synopsis and I was like, this is good, but like, is it like, is it a thirst watch? And then Peyton got back to me after watching it. She's like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, it is. <laughs> Losing my mind the entire time. Genuinely. Um, I just think he's so sexy. Um, but I guess instead of one of his like crime movies, I feel like crime movies are more like his recent filmography, like the past like 10, 15 years. And I still think he's an attractive man, but I do think that he was hotter when he was younger. So I was like, I'm going to pick like a young Benicia movie. And Excess Baggage just sounded like a lot of fun. And he looked really good in the pictures on Google Images. So I was like, yeah, let's do this one. I think Usual Suspects was a year before this, right? Was it? It's either a year before or a year after. This is what, is this 94, this is 97. 97? I think, okay, you know what? I did not research this well enough. I'll fact check live on the pod. Please do. Excess baggage was 97. Okay, true. Usual and suspects was 94. Suspects. I'm Five. just saying numbers now. 95, which 95. is surprising because I think he looks younger in excess baggage than he does in the usual suspects. Really? Yeah. I think he looks hotter in Usual Suspects. I think, okay, so this, this is, is our interesting. Split. This is where, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of where we're at in terms of, um, we usually, we're kind of infamous for sharing a brain. We joke about this all the time because we agree on, I'd say pretty much everything. Like our conversations are very just us um, preaching to each other, things that we already are fully in agreement with. Yeah. Um, but every now and then we have a split and we call it like a brain split because it always feels very jarring when someone who agrees with you on pretty much everything is like um absolutely not and we said it in other episodes but we usually have these sort of splits over like our types or our types of guys mm -hmm. um so in this case you are very into Benicio del Toro as Vincent the carjacker in excess baggage mm -hmm. and I I don't see it like I do not see it at all <laughs> It ruins me that you don't see. I remember the it first- It ruins me so much and my voice just cracked. Yeah. The first conversation <laughs> that we had about this through text afterwards, I could feel you being like, not offended, but hurt. You were like, wait, what do you mean? I was like, I just don't see it at all. It um, looks so good. See, what this boils down to, I think the bigger overlying issue at hand here is like the concept of the himbo and himboism, right? This is something that's been quite trendy and talked about a lot. I want to say the last year, two years. I don't know. I can't remember. Time is very okay. strange in quarantine, but um, it feels like it's not a brand new concept, but it is, you know, early stages. I'm talking about it like it's a real practice. I'm like, you know, early stages of himboism. Um, but yeah, how do you feel about that? About himboism in general? And About like the himbo, just the concept of the himbo. <laughs> I love a himbo. Um, 
like cultural himbos that like people reference all the time, like Karang from Ember's New Groove, <laughs> as well as like Thor and like mostly the later Marvel movies, I'd say. And then like early Keanu Reeves also. I feel like Keanu Reeves in like the 80s, 90s was like total himbo. Like Bill and Both, Ted. Yeah, like Bill and Ted, but also just like kind of in his interviews, like <laughs> as a guy. <laughs> but I don't I know. Like- I just, I like, I think they're cute. I think there's something, dare I say, sexy about a dumb man. You know, they're like nice. They're funny. Like, well, that is the thing. So I, no this malice is, in a there's, that's exactly it. So that's where I, I'm very self-aware in this. I'm not someone who thinks like, oh, I'm not very attracted to himbos, but I think that I'm right. I think it's more, I'm not attracted to himbos. And I feel like that's a me problem because the guys I'm attracted to are not nice to me. <laughs> sorry um we're not (laughs) we're not gonna get into this um so I think like the idea of a himbo is just like a very gentle giant you know what I mean I just feel like that sort of um kind unassuming unknowing sort of man um so I've never yeah I don't find like I love them culturally like you said some of these examples Jared from Booksmart himbo excellence Mm -hmm. yeah um but I never find myself attracted to them. Sorry, I keep laughing, but it's because I keep the first thing that you referenced was Kronk. And I'm in my head, like, <laughs> do you find Kronk hot? Like, is that what? No, I, no. I mean, if Kronk was not animated, maybe. I'm not going to write him off. But like, okay. I don't think of Kronk like in a, in a way like that. But I was going to say, that, we would have to talk about that. Yeah, did. we would have to unpack that. Um, himbos, I feel like I am a fan of in theory, not so much in practice I feel like if I was like on a date with a himbo I'd just be annoyed because I'm like okay you're stupid and it's not endearing anymore oh, from no. a distance I'm a fan of the himbos I think and Vincent, I mean, this is to say Vincent's character Benicio del Toro in excess baggage is a complete himbo probably one of the most himbo-y performances that I've seen in a movie on, absolutely I just think the accent it's the line delivery I think there's <laughs> the pace at which he will deliver any sort of news is so slow it's insane yeah it takes about 10 minutes to I mean what happens basically we said it in the beginning is Alicia Silverstone's character um Emily is staging her own kidnapping um to get attention from her very absent father which we will we'll unpack in a bit um and she hides in her trunk she locks herself in her trunk handcuffed and obviously Benicio del Toro Vincent is a carjacker he comes and he takes the car not knowing that she's in the trunk and basically he drives her all the way back to this warehouse full of cars um and when he finds her there he goes to this diner and he phones his friend who's in the carjacking business as well and he just keeps repeating. He's like, something bad's happened. And he won't say what it is. And his friend's yeah. like, what, what is going on? And he's like, it's not good. And he just keeps doing <laughs> this. And then this probably carries on for 10 to 15 minutes because his friend comes back in and he's taking so long to explain the scenario. And he's like, no, you don't understand. It's bad. But he won't say what it is. Yeah. And, and this I is think- like slow droning tone of voice. Yeah, and I can't do like his voice. so like airheady because he's like, he's talking about how he, the police obviously are chasing him as he's driving away with this car because the police think he's kidnapping a girl and he thinks that he's just stealing a car. 
but he's sort of relaying this to his friend and he's like I was driving against traffic and changing lanes <laughs> it's just so funny and I just I'm, love it I'm like oh he's so cute I think yeah that's one thing I will I'll drop in here this is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life like I will be laughing my way through the rest of this episode I feel like I already am but I genuinely was not expecting that I was expecting just like something kind of cheesy rom-commy um Mm -hmm. but this is like actually hilarious yeah but I think the himbo-y part is definitely part of the attraction of Vincent it's that gentle giant thing you were talking about but I also will say kind of backpedaling a tiny bit on our split with attraction with this I think also you prefer a very clean cut man a very posh don't I knew you were gonna say posh I knew it I knew it was coming um I get yeah I get berated by genuinely all of my friends you obviously but so many of my friends will be like, you only like posh men. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And then they will list out the men that I've liked. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I think that fundamentally we have different types. Like I think you would say beard over clean shaven, wouldn't you? Always. Yeah, see, it depends for me, but I would usually say clean shaven. Yeah. And also just like generally, my friends also berate me for my type of being like, they use the word scruffy, which I'm like, it sounds like a dog, but fine. <laughs> they'll use scruffy. And if they're feeling real bold, they'll say grimy. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I don't think Vincent's particularly grimy. I think by grimy, they just mean like, not like, I don't know, just a little, I don't know what- not word a bit of edge. Just a little a bit, bit of edge. edge. Yeah, exactly. Um. But I think the thing about like Vincent as like a cultural himbo is that the appeal is that the edge is softened. So he's he's a yeah. criminal, right? But we're like, right. oh, but he's so dumb. <laughs> he's so sweet. Yeah. Um, I don't think that it's so much types. I don't see it as like you have a type and I have a type, but I think it's probably just trends. Like I feel like yeah. himboism could be a trend for you. Mm-hmm. And maybe like the posh man is a trend for me because I don't want to be the person who's like, my type is... I don't even know what that means like posh man like oh my god I was gonna say the examples but like I can don't. never remember the dude's name don't the dude with the dimples and the dark hair don't what's his not. name I'm feeling so um vulnerable right now no oh my god I'll think of it later you will and you're gonna say it in the middle of the episode is it Josh is his name Josh are you talking about Josh O'Connor yeah. Oh, Josh O'Connor's a sweetie. I thought, like, I have some embarrassing um, celebrity crushes. <laughs> I thought you were going with some. But see, that also speaks to the fact that you were, like, dark hair and dimples. And I was thinking of, like, six different men. Um, <laughs> fair, fair. Fair, fair. So we've got the himbo. We've got Vincent. But then to balance out the himbo, we've got Christopher Walken, which to me it's still insane like the fact that he's in this film is kind of ridiculous to me and then the character that he plays so he plays Emily's uncle Emily's father is very absent um very bad man if we're being honest and he really just doesn't give a shit that she's been kidnapped he's like oh she'll come back I'm like "Mm, I don't know um he's like I have a plane to catch this is an inconvenience for me yeah he's got a meeting and he's not skipping his meeting for his kidnapped daughter um but that's where uncle ray steps in he's very protective he gives off hitman energy if i've ever seen it 
Um, and he basically goes looking for Emily and encounters Vincent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they have polar opposite energies. And I think that they very well balance themselves out here. Absolutely. Christopher Walken, again, very hitman energy, fur collar, trench coat, ginger. He, he has red hair that's like combed back and gelled and keeps guns in his waistband and in his socks. And it's like, okay, Christopher. But he's sort of like this like stand in father role. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because he's like a level of danger because he clearly like kills people. And it's always suggested, never said, but it's like this criminal of Vincent who's like really stupid and like dumb, airheady, just stealing cars versus this criminal of like Uncle Ray, who's like, I'm going to kill you. There's literally a scene where um, he's kind of trying to get Vincent to tell him something. And he's like, have you ever been shot, Vincent, in the groin? <laughs> and then Vincent's like, are those options? <laughs> And I just think it's like the funniest like dichotomy of like criminal male figures in this girl's life because they could not be more different. I feel like there's so much to say about Alicia Silverstone, but the scenes with Vincent and Ray are just the funniest things. I just find, I don't know, because I think that Christopher Walken was just so well used here. I think that the casting choice and then the way that he's kind of employed like you said the red hair and like the fur coat it's giving pimp it's giving <laughs> it's giving um oh mob God, king yeah. like just there's there's a lot going on there but um yeah I'm not sure how he fits into the entire film but I was saying this to you earlier where I think that like if he weren't in it it would just be, or if his character was softened or played by someone other than Christopher Walken, it would just be way too goofy because the movie is yeah. very self-aware in it's just like absolute batshit crazy plot um, yeah. that I think that you need someone to kind of mediate that. And like genuinely off the top of my head, like Christopher Walken would be the per perfect person to function in that role. Yeah, he definitely grounds it. And I also think that like there's the sort of stereotypical Christopher Walken like line delivery mm -hmm. and I feel like that just sort of adds to it because he's still definitely a comedic figure like in the film um and in some ways it's through like his line delivery and in other ways it's just his like aura in the way that he like moves like there's the scene where they're in this diner and Alicia Silverstone's like, I'm not going with you. She causes a scene. She's like, oh, I never should have married you. He beats me to get like these like motorcycle dudes in the bar to kind of like beat up Uncle Ray. And it's quite literally like five against one. And it cuts to outside of Uncle Ray just throwing this guy through a window and then sauntering out of the diner with his gun held like above his head. And, and it's, it's just like beautiful. It's so comedic and it's so self-aware, but at the same time, it feels to me so serious. It's such a, I guess, like conscious sort of use of Christopher Walken. And mm -hmm. the more that I'm thinking about it, I think his voice and Benicio Del Toro's as Vincent, like their voices and their cadence are actually very similar. It's just, you've got a himbo bend on one of them. Like their line deliveries are just very slow paced. Yeah. Very, except the thing is they have the same like tempo but one is very threatening and one is just stupid yeah one is just processing everything at half speed so in terms of because we've talked I guess now about um the men in the film um mm -hmm. 
But I think Emily is also very interesting. Yeah, 100%. So I think the sort of big question that I feel like the film is like pushing the whole time is like, you feel really bad for her because you're like, her dad doesn't give a shit about her at all. And that's all she wants. Like the whole movie, she's like, I just want him to care like about something, about me at any point. But then she does so many things where you're like, this girl is like kind of unhinged. And so I'm like, I feel bad for her, but I'm also like, I think I've decided that I feel bad for her. Do you like, do you sympathize with her? I think I do sympathize with her. I mean, there is a whole like arson situation where she was kicked out of um, her last school for committing arson. Yes. Which arsons is very specific characterization now where if you don't know what to do with the character, you're like, um, yeah, they committed arson and got kicked out of their school. But yeah, she definitely does a lot of questionable things. I think the, the interesting thing is that we often feel quite bad for Vincent because he is, you know, if we haven't said it 15 times, he's a bit of a dumb man and he can't seem to keep up with what she's doing because she's kind of manipulating him a bit um, get whatever she wants in a given moment. And we feel bad for him, um, which is interesting because if we look at the characters in general, I feel like there's a there's an age difference that is never like talked about, but is very visible with both of the actors. Mm-hmm. I feel like I will disagree and say that's that I do think it's talked about frequently throughout the movie, but it's not discussed. It's just mentioned because there's this like kind of recurring line where he's like, how old are you? How right. old are you? I should he, probably correct that and say like, I don't know how old he is. His age is never mentioned, but yeah, Emily's, Emily's supposed to always register in the audience's mind as a teenager, which I think is a very interesting and very deliberate choice. And they explicitly say that she's 18. They mm-hmm. say it like towards the end after this joke of like, how old are you? How old are you? Keeps coming up. And it's very clear that Benicio Del Toro is not 18. My estimate, I would say 25, 26, 27 ish, maybe. See, we've talked about what we actually thought when we were planning this, because he is in real life. Benicio Del Toro is 10 years older than Alicia Silverstone, but just visually when I was watching it, like at first before I, um, before they even kind of got together, I remember being like, why does he look 30? And she looks like a teenager. Um, so I thought he was 29 or like a late 28. I figured that's what I ended up settling on when we last talked. It's like mm-hmm. very late 28. Regardless, like too old. <laughs> too old. But... I think that that is like an interesting choice. So I think that the fact that she's young is almost negated by the fact that she's a bit of a bad person at times. You know what I mean? I think it's that and I also think that it's this idea that she's really young 18 but she's like very street smart and she can handle herself and she's like beating people up and things like that that doesn't negate her age but it's almost like used as well yeah she's young but like she's so mature mature she is exactly and then Benicio Del Toro is very visibly older but he's stupid and then they try to make him sympathetic because things are sort of happening to him and he has no way of recovering from them because in his mind, he's like, oh, I'm just stealing a car, but now I have this girl in the back and people think that I'm a kidnapper and now her uncle Ray is after me and I'm owing people like this money and I can't 
get a grasp on the situation because I'm stupid and everyone's manipulating me. And so then he's made to be more sympathetic. And so it's like smart and young versus like dumb and old. Yeah. And I think that that's interesting. I'm not going to get too into like the politics of that or what I think any intention was or whatever, but I do feel like that happens a lot is that idea that you'll age someone down with their kindness or, um, um, age someone up with like street smarts, I think is a good way to say it. Like she's very mature. She can handle herself. She's like beating people up on multiple occasions. Um, so I think that also, I feel like it's worth mentioning that Alicia Silverstone at this point in the 90s she was a huge figure and Mm -hmm. she was typecast a lot and she was constantly playing these like highly sexualized teenage characters like very um obviously teenagers so like there's the crush which is dealing with a relationship between a teenager and an older man or she wants to get with the older man etc etc um clueless same setup and then the babysitter same setup and then batman and robin she's obviously playing like this very sexed up character um so i just think that at this point excess baggage fits into that same idea and like idealized image of her in the 90s which she ended up hating because she was getting so much criticism and everyone was calling her fat which is insane to me jesus christ (laughs) and i think so the same year, I think, I think this is correct. 97 is excess baggage, right? So that's the same year yeah. as Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. And I know that she- oh, Clueless. Clueless is when? 95. Okay. So post Clueless, yeah. Excess baggage um, was nominated. She was nominated for a Razzie and then she won a Razzie for Batman and Robin. So that's just like a double hit in one year. Mm-hmm. And she was in her- very early 20s I think she was 21 so for excess baggage I believe so I might be doing the math wrong but you're right but that's crazy to me that one she was this figure that was so obviously sexed up and always playing a teenager um in these kind of relationships where there would be a large age gap um I do kind of want to add (laughs) on the subject of her playing teenagers like very sexualized teenagers. She was playing very sexualized teenagers as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of the opposite of what we're seeing now with what I call the Riverdale effect, where we have 26, 27, 28 year olds playing teenagers because when the actors are that old, you can sexualize them and do it ethically, quote unquote ethically, because they're adults, but they're portraying teenagers. And I have thought a lot about this because I'm like, I don't think either one is like chill. Like maybe we should just not sexualize teenagers like that. I don't know. Just no, think. I like, I completely agree. I feel like the argument that always gets brought up, I think it gets brought up a lot now in context of euphoria um, is, oh, but teenagers have sex. And it's like, no one's saying that teenagers don't have sex. They're just saying right. that when you're depicting teenagers or high school or that sort of audience, if you are deliberately making all of the characters hypersexual, which a lot of these shows are, yeah. that's different than saying that teenagers have sex and you should be able to depict the fact that teenagers have sex. Also, no teenager is having sex the way that teenagers are depicted as having sex on TV ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no. no, I agree. Cause like, that's a really good point is that neither of them are ethical. And I don't know which one would be like worse because in one you have teenagers who are like genuinely having to play these sexed up roles, which is horrible. But then you can, like you said, get away with as an older person, 
doing even worse or more sexual things because you're like oh they're 28 playing an 18 year old so that's fine yeah um yeah it's pretty shit yeah it also just is giving me major skins flashbacks this conversation um because I I don't say grew up watching skins I feel like that suggests I was watching it when I was like nine which I was not I was like 14 15 literally wanting to I'm like oh my god they have so much drama in their life like it sounds like so much fun when they're literally just like that whole show is just a bunch of like 16 year olds like doing ketamine and fucking strangers and I was like yeah oh my god what a lifestyle but it romanticizes it no doubt that's like what that's what it comes down to I think is that they're romanticizing like hyper sexualized teenagers whether they're doing it with actual teenagers which is fucked up because then you're sexualizing actual children or you're doing it with grown adults because you can get away with having them do more it's just like you can't really win on either side so I honestly don't know what the solution is I don't think there is one because I don't think anyone's going to resolve this. I don't think anyone's going to be like, okay, we're going to now make it less sexual because on the whole, I feel like cinema is getting a little bit more sexless. I think that we're seeing this more and more with, especially with franchises um, or blockbusters, they're just progressively getting, I I guess they're getting more family oriented. I'm saying that with air quotes. Do you Um, think? I think so. I mean, think of like all the major blockbusters that are coming out now if they're not like horrors or thrillers that are deliberately rated r they're kind of hovering like the pg-13 range which means that they can't do a lot that's very interesting i've never thought about that i just feel like if you look at the 90s like look at blockbusters in the 90s obviously now that i've said that yeah. aloud, i can't list any of them because i'm <laughs> nervous um but i just think that like, there were so many more like just exciting thrillers like erotic kind of thrillers the erotic thriller has kind of died right what we oh can God, say the about. James Spader era of erotic thrillers. <laughs> exactly. And also Michael Douglas, which we talk about all the time on our mm. own time, how much we don't like Michael Douglas, but why was he always the lead of like erotic thrillers? Make it make sense. There was a Bright Wall Dark Room article about this written by one of my mutuals, which everyone should read. It was actually, it was so well written. I genuinely can't look at Michael Douglas because I get very afraid of his face, um, but it's a very good essay. So go read that. I think the other thing about this whole like sexualizing teenagers and kind of bringing it back to Alicia Silverstone in the 90s is you wonder who the audience is, right? Because you market these things and you're like, yeah, it's for teenagers. Um, And you were talking about Skins. I mean, I watched the whole of Skins when I was 12, 12. Yeah, probably 12, Um, which in retrospect, I'm like, what the hell? Um, That wasn't right at all. On the same subject, Pretty Little Liars is an easy example because that's a show I was watching when I was like 11, 12. I think I was like sixth, seventh grade Mm -hmm. watching like the whole Arya and Ezra thing and thinking it was romantic and being like, oh my God, it's like forbidden love. I'm like, no, it's pedophilia. Like that's her teacher in this entire show. And I never read the book series, but I believe it's also part of the book series um, is like romanticizing that. And so I'm like, it's such a weird pattern. It's not surprising and it's not news. I'm very aware that this is something that we know has been going on like all the time, but just like putting it under a microscope and seeing all the different ways that it's quote unquote, like evolved over time. Very odd. Yeah. I think re pretty little liars. I was exactly the same. I was watching it at gen. Yeah. Probably 11 when it came out, I was watching Mm it. Um, and that's actually so gross. Cause I remember thinking that they were so cute. And I, in my mind, this is how horrible it was for young people. And you can make an argument that I shouldn't have been watching it at, at that age or whatever, but I, it's still not right. 
It's um, marketed to you though. It's marketed. It was marketed to like young teens. It wasn't an adult show. Um, right. It was supposed to feel very trivial. It was that kind of um, dynamic. And I just think that like the whole Aria Ezra thing, I totally fell into that. I was like, I'm like a young, I wanted to be a writer when I was that age. Um, and I was like, oh, there's just something so romantic about like, he's like a writer and an English teacher. And I'm looking back at this and I'm like, this is disgusting. <laughs> like this is yeah. the Gossip Girl reboot, which is on right now, um, has a um, teacher student relationship. And I'm, I mean, they're not um, condoning it at all. I don't think, or maybe lightly, but um, it's kind of supposed to, I guess it's supposed to subvert the whole pretty little liar sort of dynamic, but I don't, I don't think it fully does. We don't have to get into that, but yeah, I just think that we're not really able to let go of that trope and it makes you wonder why or who's enjoying it. Yeah. And I mean, bringing it back to excess baggage, like that's really at the core of the movie. Like it's a really funny movie. I'm saying I enjoy it, but that is a very glaring thing in it for me is I'm like, yeah, there's this age difference. There's Alicia Silverstone who was 21 when it came out. I don't know how far in advance they filmed it. Probably not super, but she was probably like, 20-ish and then Benicio Del Toro being like an older dude also that even as like there's the dynamic with the characters but there's also like the dynamic with the actors of having like a young actress and an older actor be like romantic um opposites in a film and I mean whatever people make can make the argument like yeah she's an adult which is true but it's still like you know what I mean it's yeah, the that's same such a, yeah I agree she is an adult and I believe I do believe people can come to their own decisions, but I just think that, like you said, there's a dynamic, especially on something like a set or on something like a movie that's fostered where they'll also have her making the moves constantly. They will never have yeah. him making a move on her. She has to initiate, she has to do, um, like she has to be the sexual character. And that's um, a big part of the movie is that he doesn't make any moves on her. Yeah, he's very respectful and she's like putting herself onto him. And then at the end, he's like, okay, fine fine we can make out yeah. I'm like okay well so this is where we end up in the end and honestly because we were just talking about the like age difference of the actors um I don't know like have you seen Never Have I Ever it's a Netflix <laughs> show I yeah. haven't seen the second season I watched the first season because I was like we love a good little South Asian representation in coming of age shows but the actress is I think she's younger than me I think she might be 20 19 or 20 mm -hmm. and then one of her romantic partners on the show who's playing like a 17 year old is like almost 30 or he is 30 so we really we've gone nowhere we're just yeah. we're in the same spot always we're in hell is where we're, we're in at. hell <laughs> um and that's not I to be dissing like the whole of these works I'm not trying to like trivialize you know all the work no, that goes into these kind of things but yeah we should be critical yeah also just like on the subject of like the genre and the time and even like the sort of trope with the age difference. I think that this could loosely maybe be called a road film. Um, and if you think of like similar plots, the first one that came to mind, which is similar in like, like plot, but very different in tone and event is Buffalo 66. Absolutely. Um, it's the same sort of thing where, I mean, it's an accidental kidnapping versus a very intentional kidnapping. Um, and then obviously, like if you've seen Buffalo 66, the tone is very dark and grim and bleak. Um, very, but there's also still a very big age gap in that. I think in Buffalo 66, I think, what actress is that? 
Um, I wish I had a name. Oh, I genuinely blanked in the last moment. It's um, the one I, from Monster, right? Yes, and Adam's family. Oh my God, this is embarrassing. I keep wanting to say Penelope Cruz. I know it's not her, but they're <laughs> in the same place in my brain. But I think in that movie, she's supposed to be 16. And Vincent Gallo has to be like early 30s, like mid 30s. Vincent Gallo, like as a dude also just please but Christina Ritchie that was Christina Ritchie embarrassing 45 seconds of my life yeah honestly probably... sorry to disrespect her that way Christina Ritchie is supposed to be like 16 I think explicitly 16 um and then and that one has like kind of a similar ending in the fact that they end up together like happy but it's so fucking dark with that because he's like abusing her the whole movie no it's genuinely so it's Stockholm syndrome that's yeah the, literally that's the dynamic but so I think that that is interesting because I also would think of like there's like this sort of Bonnie and Clyde effect Buffalo yeah. 66 definitely came to mind I briefly thought of tie me up tie me down um I but I don't it's really good but also the same level of problematic of everything that we're talking about and I think it gets yeah. a lot of criticism for that um, and obviously we're not comparing these to excess baggage because excess baggage has a very different tone. It's much more playful, but then again, mm-hmm. you can ask yourself, why is the tone so playful with like this sort of setup? Um, the idea of women being kidnapped in cinema. And then just falling so- in love with the kidnappers. 365 days. Are you kidding me? Beauty and the Beast. I grew up on Beauty and the Beast and I was like, ooh, that's kind of cute. No, it's not. It's really yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, but I do like what you said about it being a road film. It just feels like a road film with no destination because they're never supposed uh-huh. to be on the road. They just keep ending up in circles, which is fun. Yeah. I love the idea that they just keep circling back um, in and out of the city. Yeah, circling in and out of the city. And he keeps dropping her off and being like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then finds himself being accused of something else and running back and being like, wait, but they think I did this now. Like we have to go back and fix it. No, it, that's genuinely the setup is he goes and he goes, I need your help. Like I need you to help me get out of this situation. And I just think that that comes back to the whole idea that he's helpless and she is, you look like you're about to say something very interesting. Say it. <laughs> I'm just so excited to mention this because he's like, I need, he drops her off and then he comes back. He's like, I need help. They think that I've kidnapped you. And she's like, this is me and Saffron's favorite line of the movie, yeah. so we have to talk about it. And she's like, are you asking me, do you a favor? And he was like, yeah. And she's like, why should I? He's like, I've been nice to you, haven't I? And she's like, you've been nice to me. Like, you almost left me in the wilderness. You have me handcuffed in the car. You have me handcuffed in your warehouse. And he looks at her with the saddest puppy dog eyes. And he's <laughs> like, these like the guitar, acoustic guitar music starts playing in the score. And he's looking at her and he's like, I got a Twinkie in the car. <laughs> It's all yours if you want it. <laughs> that is truly, like, I, I say this with no hint of irony, like, completely <laughs> perfect line delivery. I think about this all the time. <laughs> Got a Twinkie in the car. <laughs> it's so good. But I just had to bring that up before we forgot. because I am amazed like- that we made it, like, what, 40-something minutes into this and didn't bring that up. How is that not the yeah. first thing that we talked about? Because we've talked about this so many times. <laughs> we've had, like, thesis-level, like, discussion on the quote, I got a Twinkie in the car. It's just, it's kind of magnificent. Yeah. 
but yes it ties back into that idea that he's just like he sounds like a helpless child yeah that's I mean what kind of compelling reason is that like oh can I kidnap you one more time please I got a twinkle yeah. but regardless <laughs> um it's a very very funny movie we're critical of it I love it I think Saffron likes it quite a bit um we you sort of it. set a trend I bought yeah no I literally watched it I rented it on um Jeffrey Be- Bezos's hell site and then bought it from I think Barnes and I found it at Barnes and Noble and I was like why is this here yeah it feels very niche yeah also, right I need to say this before the episode ends it relates to absolutely nothing but I probably should have mentioned it in the beginning but Marco Brambia's like oh his photography is so strange to me genuinely 30 seconds before we hit record on this episode I found out that he directed Kanye West's power music video and I like I genuinely am still processing this information I don't think I have anything intelligent or coherent to say about this but no we can just like say it how it is this is his sophomore feature his debut feature was Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes yep he has not directed a film since. He's done a short. I think his um, his last like credit as a director is from 2012, and it's a short that I've never heard of. Um, and then before that, it was Kanye West's Power, which was 2010. And then he did something called Dinotopia, and I honestly just like read the name, and I was like, I'm not going to Google it. No, I feel like we I are going to Google it. I feel like we're going to Google it, and we're going to watch it together. <laughs> Zoom movie night. But we've been very critical of excess baggage, though I will say, despite like my criticism, I think it's very valid criticism. I do love it. I think it's hilarious. And we kind of set a trend with the first two episodes of this podcast with the most horny but least sexy movies I think I've ever seen in my life. And then we redeemed it with Only You and my undying thirst for Benicio Del Toro redeemed it with this one too. So we found this film fairly sexy. We're going to use that word a little loosely in terms of content, but looking at him, I found Benicio very sexy. I, sorry, I was just, you squinted when you said that because I knew that you were like, you don't find this sexy. But I think- Live your truth, Seth. I'm living my truth. I, I mean, okay. I can be an excess baggage truther while not finding Benicio Del Toro hot in this movie. And I'm okay with that. I've come to peace with that. I genuinely um, like struggled trying to pick out some of the hottest moments of this movie because um, as you should know by now, we basically rapid fire all of the sexiest bits. Um, But I don't know. I feel pretty good about these. Do you want to go ahead? (laughs) Yeah, let's go. So first up, Vincent's bossy boy suit. Emily pulling Vincent to the floor to get him out of the diner. Benicio Del Toro's effortlessly wispy cloth. Vincent's desire to open karaoke bars in Brazil because his friend told him there weren't any there. (laughs) Emily's flared velvet pants. Christopher Walken's fur coat moment. The waitress's screen printed Elvis Presley skirt. Emily downing Vincent's scotch and stealing Greg's cash in one fell swoop. Emily kicking a man's ass on more than one occasion. Vincent telling off Emily's Bezos-adjacent father. Vincent licking his fingertips in preparation for a carjacking. Odd. Very odd. 
But a <laughs> Vincent and Emily jumping onto the back of a truck with ease. Emily framing her own arson article. Emily accidentally committing arson for a second time. Anytime there's an overhead shot of Vincent strewn across a car seat. The final shot of Vincent and Emily locking themselves in the trunk with a bottle of 1991 Mossy. And Emily crashing into the room on a forklift. Wow. Very sexy. <laughs> and that's all that we've got. Thank you for listening. Please share with your friends. Um, in our next episode, we're tying our cravats and taking a trip down memory lane. Stay horny and smart. Bye. Bye.